Thank you again, Janet Lee. Those sweet fingers just a playing across that keyboard and the sound that you are able to produce and the songs that you select. I just want to thank God for you. You are absolutely beautiful. And ladies and gentlemen, here we are again. And we are on the trail of the Diary of Mary Magdalene. Today, part six. And can I say for sure that next week will be the last in it, in last entry? No, I cannot. I'm supposing that it will be. But as I went through my teaching here today and looked over my notes, I thought, oh my, I may not be able to finish this in another week. It may take two or three more weeks. I don't know. Time tells all. So, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. The Diary of Mary Magdalene, Part 6. There is a scripture I want to share with you, and not just one, but many. Plus, I have some other profound things to share with you today. This will truly be a meeting of meetings, a broadcast of broadcasts. And I'm excited, and I feel the unction of the Holy Spirit. For the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will restore lost memories. It says that the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth. And I believe that. And I know that to be true. I also understand that the Bible says we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away with, will be replaced with those things that are perfect and the ultimate of knowledge. In the 12th chapter of the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul had an experience. And he put it like this, verse 1. It is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I want to witness that. Having had so many experiences with divine revelation and with incredible, almost unspeakable insights, I am Jerry Lee, the Manifester, and I came here with a specific journey of mission. And I came here in the spirit of John, the Revelator. And I have written over 50 books. I published two books. And I am determined that these books have got to get out. I'm going to share something along that nature a little more extensively. But here, here is something that I would like to share with you as we read in chapter 12, 2 Corinthians, verse 2, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. I can understand that, Paul. I can share with you what you are meaning and what you are saying. For I too knew a man in the body, and I cannot 
lawfully at this time, not due to my repulsion or our limitations, but due to the limitations of the ears that are out there who are not yet ready for this super word. I knew a man, and a lot longer than 14 years ago. And the day will come when I will be able to share such, a, uh, such as these. Verse 4. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which are not lawful for man to utter. Of such a one I will glory. Yea, myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. In the book of 1 Corinthians 10.23, it says an amazing thing. And when you put that on top of this particular verse, these particular verses I just read, it takes on an authority of a very extensive nature. It says in 1 Corinthians 10.23, all things, A-L-L, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. I understand that, Paul, because that is true of me also. All things are, are lawful for me. Because God has put on me a certain spirit of operation. And because of that certain spirit of operation, I am like one of these persons who is representing a country. And as a representative of that country, of a of a nation foreign to this nation, foreign to this world, I was given immunity, which is one of the customary things that even on this earth, that diplomats who are representatives of another nation are given immunity. And I understand that immunity. I have witnessed many, many things, including the Shikanda glory. It has come down in, in businesses that I have owned. It has come down in our home on more than one occasion at different locations. I have had a visitation of Jesus Christ three times in my life which makes me an apostle. I've had a visitation of Gabriel the Archangel more than once. Many other angels. I have had a restoration of memory of many of these things that have heretofore been unlawful to utter. Once again, 1 Corinthians 10.23, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. There, there has been a situation in which it has not been expedient to mention all of the things that were lawful for, me, lawful for me to speak. But the day of the Lord is coming upon us. The ark is coming up the road. And there is a change 
in the direction that the winds are blowing, the holy winds of God. Am I perfect? Far be it. I am a mortal. Am I without sin? Far be it. I am a mortal. I don't think by any means that I break the record that Paul did in his claim of being the chief of the sinners. And for two main profound reasons, one that he murdered one of the saints, it was involved with murdering one of the saints of God, and he persecuted the church. Not necessary to say any other sins. I was not enfolded in anything like that. But I'm a mortal. Do I think that having received these manifestations and revelations makes me special or above anyone else? I far know better. I am a mortal. I far understand better. I am a mortal. All things are lawful for me, though, because I have diplomatic immunity due to the fact that I am a citizen of one of the kingdoms of God in heaven. All things are lawful me, for me, it says in 1 Corinthians 10.23, but not all things edify. But when you understand that there are these incredible situations that give you a right away, and then there are the counter positions that try to hush and deny and rob you of the freedom to use those right aways such things as not being expedient such things as laws spoken that do not necessarily edify the times the seasons but then again as one walks upon the waters of life one has to become attuned to the power of overcoming gravity. And in the power of over overcoming gravity, one then realizes in order to do that, you break one law to fulfill another. As you break these laws that are not expedient to you at the moment, although they, although they are expedient to millions of others, you do so in the freedom of the actuations and presentations that God has manifested in your life because you are at liberty in those moments to be fired of the Holy Spirit with such flame that you kiss the syntonic fireways of God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are ex expedient. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. But then cometh the day 
when the expedience must bow. And edification must step aside that it edifies the physical world because now comes the time to edify the spiritual world and the spiritual world is not bound by limitations. You become at the same time both the needle eye and the camel who can walk through the hole of the needle's eye. You become at the same time being the spirit incarcerated in the mortal while at the same moment you are unincarcerated by the spiritual freedom you have in another opposite realm. First Corinthians 5.3 gives an example about being able to, by the Spirit, leave the body and make judgments, which is another way of saying the spirit of a mortal can know the things of a mortal. One of the gifts of God is the discerning of spirit, our spirits. And as we begin to discern these things, you know, we walk upon the reactions of lessons, trials, and experiences that we have been through. The Bible says that a righteous man will fall seven times but rise again. But an evil man intent on repetition of his evil lust and desires will fall in one of those opportunities and then one day never rise again. So what is it then? It is not the fall that destroys you and robs your mortal life. It is the, the fear and the subsequent apprehension of trying to hold on to things of this world instead of giving your life in this world for this world that you might spiritually gain access to the Holy Spirit in such a way that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ can expediently be spoken through you and delivered to the masses. I have been on a journey I am not ashamed of that journey. We teach this thing about co-ooning. And people so often ask me about that. Let's first deal with the opposite of it. In 1 Corinthians 6.16 The mortal body joined to the body the mortal body joined to another mortal body is one flesh. Let me say it again. The mortal body joined 
to another mortal body is one flesh. 1 Corinthians 6.16 Now into the Koun. 6.17 of 1 Corinthians. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Not spirits. Not your spirit and the Lord's spirit. You join the Lord and you you become his spirit. That's a, a that's a trans assimilation beyond just being uh being one in the Lord. Uh it's 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 the highest height of of, of oneness. And it doesn't happen every day. And generally only happens to beginning at the stage of being an being an archangel or an equivalent to an archangel. Wow. I, I have been on the road. I have seen things. I have seen many, many healings through this manifest ministry. Incredible healings. I have seen people more than half dead that were raised up from Beth from beds of death. Like Nicholas Vaspucci, who was in the death gargle when I w- went into the hospital. He had been moved into the dying room. And I spoke with him and prayed for him by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus raised him up and he came to the church where I was preaching and walked down the aisle and fell on his face before the pulpit that I was standing at delivering the word. I don't know where Nicholas Vaspucci is today, but I am assured that he was better off for having had that healing and deliverance from death. I've been to the city of God more than once. I have been to the Father's house more than once. The Father's house that we call Artura, not the Artura of the constellation Buotis, but rather the constellation of the Little Dipper, Asia Minor. I want to talk today in this understanding in perhaps maybe a deeper way than I have quite ever talked to you before. And I want to share with you something from the Holy Manifest. The Holy Manifest is a a very huge book that was revealed to me in a great part, not a total part, but a great part by the angel Gabriel, who implanted into my mind things that for a long time I could not remember, and he told me I would not. But he said they will come back to your memory in parts and pieces, and when they do, you are to write them down. And I want to read just a small portion of one of the chapters of that book, the Holy Manifest, called What is Man? Or, who are the mortals? It came to pass in the course of time that the Gaihan people, now Gaihan is another word for serpent, 
the serpent people. They began to be bold concerning the, the East Garden. Now, we have taught that the, in the land of Eden, there was a, a, a garden east and a garden west. And there is scripture for that. I am not going to be able to, on this reading to give you a bunch of scripture today. I don't have the time, and I have a lot to cover. But I've never read this on the air before, what is man, or who are the mortals? It came to pass in the course of time that the Gihon people, the serpent people, began to be bold concerning the east garden in the east of Eden. Now if you have an east of Eden, which the Bible says there is, there automatically then is a west of Eden. Otherwise it can't be east. And the thought came into their minds to steal of its fruit and to kill Adam and Eve for a sacrifice to the dragon. Then came a band of Gihon into the garden east in the late of night with torches of fire. But Adam and Eve slept and knew not of their plan. It was on that night that Adam and Eve had chosen to sleep outside of the lighted perimeter of the crystal dome, for they were fascinated by the stars. However, the angels watched over Adam and Eve, for they had heard the thoughts of the Gihon. Now Adam and Eve slept restfully on an assortment of plant leaves in the meadow, and their faces shone softly in the night. So it was when the Gihon saw Adam and Eve, a great peace of love came upon them, and they could not think to disturb or hurt the children of God. Therefore the Gihon returned to their land. Sometime thereafter, on a certain day, Adam went alone, as sometimes he did, to worship before the crystal tree of life, the pyramids of fire. However, Eve, and is calling the tree of life the pyramids of fire, not to worship the pyramids of fire. He went before the crystal tree of life, which is the pyramids of fire. However, Eve wandered to the edge of the garden east, and as she stood gazing across the river of the garden west, she mused on curiosities concerning the west garden and the Gihon serpent people. At that time, a Gihon man came to the opposite edge of the river, and began to speak to Eve and said, I am Magog, servant of God, who is prince of the enchanted forest and king of the principalities of the air. Come with me and I will show you my world. Then Eve said, I cannot go, for the forest is forbidden to me. Neither may I taste or look upon the fruits of the garden west. Then Magog said, Come only across the river and smell the garden. Surely there is no harm in that. And Eve answering said, If you are truly a servant of the prince, and he is a king of powers, show me a sign. Then Magog looked into the waters of the river, and stepping stones began to appear on the top of the waters from one side unto the other. So it was Eve crossed the river upon the stones unto the other side, and she smelled the fruits of the garden west. And Eve was lured by the smell, of, by the smell and by Magog to examine closer the fruit of the garden west. Now the trees of the west garden of Eden were exotic and enjoyable to look upon. And Eve became enticed to see more. But as she entered deeper into the forest, the more she smelled, the hungrier she became. So it was that Magog gave her of the fruits of the trees of the garden west, and Eve ate. And Eve began to be lighter in her mind and laughed out loud. 
So it was he began to stand before the burning rock, the tree of good and evil knowledge. Then Eve lifted up her eyes unto the great image of the dragon upon the mountain, and her eyes met with the eyes of Lucifer, Satan, the dragon. Then Eve fell into a trance. Thus it was, as Eve sat before the burning rock, Satan appeared as an angel of light unto her, and his beauty surpassed the beauty of any creature or angel that Eve had ever seen. Remember this, before Lucifer's descent, he was the angel of beauty, a cherubim angel of the highest order, for the spectrums of his energy gave him special characteristics of pose, power, and distinction. He was loved and honored by the cherubim and adored by the ophanims. However, it came to pass that the cherubims came to envy and despise him, because that by his transgressions the ophanims fell, and the cherubims were left without a complete order of the ranks of power and beauty. Subsequently, Eve was taken by admiration and fear of Satan at, Satan at the same time. Then Satan said to her, Do you know who I am? And Eve answering said, You are Satan. Then said Satan, I am Gog, and my servants are the thousand times thousands of Magog. But he lied. Eat of the tree of knowledge. Then shall you be wise to understand my sayings, and you shall live forever. Then Eve, trembling, But the Lohim angels have said that we must not taste of the trees of knowledge, lest we die. Then said Satan, Nonsense. I have eaten, am I dead? The Magog of the Gihon people have eaten, are they dead? And the Magog of my angels have eaten, are they dead? Why is it you have not eaten of the tree of life? And Eve answering said, We are not ready yet. We must be accelerated to the scarlet wave. Then said Satan, The Elohim angels know that in the day you eat of this tree of knowledge, your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. If you shall eat of the tree of this knowledge, I shall show you how to eat of the tree of life, that you may live forever. Then Eve, seeing that the tree was good for food of thought and mind, and beholding the pleasant light rays of its burning fire, wished to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so it was, she became enveloped by the rays of the light of the tree of knowledge, and the cells of her brain were charged with the knowledge of the good and evil tree. During Eve's absence from the garden east, Adam meditated before the crystal pyramid. However, at the same moment, Eve partook of the tree of knowledge. Adam felt a sensation of fear. Then Adam said to the angels, Why do I feel such fear? Then said, Prevail. Eve has left the east garden and has ventured into the garden west. Beware, Adam, for now you shall be tested. Then ask Adam, Shall I go into the forbidden forest to bring forth my wife, or shall I wait for her return? Prevail answering said, The crucible hour has come. The trembling cup is in your hand. Only you can drink it. And to you is given the transcene vision. By your decision the courage of destiny will be shaped. Then Adam ran toward the river, and with great sorrow of heart, and sitting at the river's edge, he pondered what he should do. So it was that while he pondered, Eve returned to the river on the other side, and swam to Adam and, and the garden east. Then said Eve, Do not fear, Adam, I am safe and alive, for I have the key to the tree of life. This day I have met Gog. He is a prince and a king. I have never seen such wisdom and beauty of character. Adam sighing deep within himself, he may call himself Gog, 
but he is Satan. For beneath the, that sparkling personality is a snake. Look at him, said Eve. I have the fruit of the junigram tree. I have brought this for you to taste. Please try it. Adam, Adam said, and, and Adam answered, I eat of this fruit, not in disobedience to the Elohim angels, but because I know if I do not, the Elohim angels shall banish you from the garden, and your soul will be lost to the Gihon and Satan. Then should I be left alone to grieve for you all the days of my life, and my vow to you would be broken. Now Adam and Eve's hearts were knit as one, and each knew the thoughts of the other's mind. Then Eve began to sob and to be sorrowful, sorrowful for what she had done. So it was that Adam ate the fruit of the junigram tree and took upon himself the sins of Eve. And he communed with her, and she told him all concerning the tree of good and evil knowledge. So it was that Adam and Eve saw their nakedness, and the soft white glow of the aura light that had radiated from their bodies disappeared. Therefore Adam and Eve took twine of the vines and began to, to uh, uh, stitch together large fig leaves and thereby, thereby fashioned aprons for themselves to wear. And Gabriel, the Lord Gabriel, came walking through the garden to call and called Adam and said, Where are you? That is just a very small portion from the, the chapter, What is Man?, which itself is a total book. It's a total book. Now here is another little part of it, skipping a lot in between. And Adam lived 800 years after the birth of Seth, and he taught his children the ways of God, and he taught Seth his son, and Enos, the son of Seth, and, and, and uh, Canaan, the son of Enos, and Mahalael, the son of, of Canaan, and uh, Jared, the son of Mahaliel, and Enoch, the son of Jared, and Methuselah, the son of Enoch, and Lamech, the son of Methuselah. And Adam was a prophet, and Adam and Eve were teachers of God's word to the children and their children's children. And the spirit of Adam was knit with the spirit of Enoch. Thus they made exploits into the knowledge of the soundtrons. Therefore they knew the art of dematerialization and mind power over the state of matter. They sought hard for the high accelerations and for the key to the tree of life. But Adam came to the end of his time, even though his eyes were not dim, nor his natural forces abated. For Adam had taken the tr the uh, the transgression. For Adam had taken on the transgressions of Eve, lest she lose her way. For Adam loved her, uh, for she was the mother of all living. For the prophecy of Gabriel, also, which said, "Before the day of a thousand years you shall die, and your flesh shall return to dust from whence it was taken." prevailed against him. Adam knew he must die and that his bones should have time to decay to dust before the thousand years was expired. Then Adam kissed Eve goodbye and blessed his sons and daughters. With Enoch he traveled toward the gate of the east garden of Eden. Thus Adam and Eve stood before, thus Adam and Enoch stood before the gateway of the garden east. And there was silence in the garden of Eden for half an hour while the guardian cherubims laid down their swords of fiery flame and wept. Deep, they wept deep within themselves. Therefore the garden and the crystal pyramid became visible. And Adam and Enoch lifted up their eyes and wept. So it was that Adam, kneeling down at the gate of Eden, died on that day, and the angels carried his spirit to the crystal pyramid. Well, that gives you a little 
forerunner, a little taste of the wondrous book, Who Are the Mortals? And I want you to pray. I want you to pray for God, God's help. I need workers. I need the finances to be able to pay these workers. I'm not asking you to do anything but pray. But I'm 74 years old. And I need to get these books out. They belong to the world. And I have so much volume of things that people would want to see. Including the incredible book, The Father's House. Which is also part of the Holy Manifest book. This does not even include the incredible, the just sensational Peace, Peace, P-E-A-C-E, Manifest Bible, which is just absolutely awesome. I need your prayers. I need your prayers for the forces of darkness are always working. And they do everything that they can to stop this message and this revelation. All of these things I have written, there are scriptures for it. And I have astound, astounded people time and time again when they've said to me, there's no scripture for anything like this. And I have showed them. When I have said that the Ark of the Covenant has been moved to the Father's house, people couldn't hardly believe it till I showed them the scripture. When I show, told them that the Tree of Life has been moved to the Father's house, People couldn't hardly believe it till I showed them the scripture. The word of God is wonderful, and there is nothing to compare. And there is no other name given among men under heaven that we are preaching but the name of Jesus Christ. And his power of salvation, and his love that transcends all things imaginable of goodness. Pray. Pray that I'll be able to get these works out. I, how gratified I would feel to be able to place these books in some of your hands. The Holy Manifest. The Peace Bible. How changed you would be. How glorified you would become. How awestruck would your eyes glow as you read these things. Well, all things are lawful. It's the time for these things to get out. The Bible says that the harvest is great, but there are very few workers available. Jesus said that, gave that parable. I am in that crux. The harvest is great. The, the whole situation of what it would take to get this message out. And that's just two great books. There's much more. But we have got to get this out, friends. This word needs to get out. Now the Father One is a beautiful, wonderful Spirit of God. I'm going to be reading a lot from scriptures today. And uh, because the scriptures actually tell the story. So if you will turn to me to the Gospel of John. 
and begin with uh, uh, verse um, chapter 16, verse 28. I want to read. And here's what it says. This is Jesus speaking. I came forth from the Father, and I am coming to the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. I want you to please understand that though Jesus was born on this physical earth, this is not his point of origination. Neither spirit-wise nor physical body-wise. Jesus came out from the Father. He was co-owned with the Father. And he came out from the Father. And he's done this before. Because he says, I came forth from the Father and am come unto the world, meaning this earth, and leave the world to go to the Father. Before he, but before he said, I leave the world to go to the Father, he says, I am coming to this world again. So now we know that in, in addition to him coming into the world as Jesus Christ, physical body Jesus Christ, he had come into the world before and incorporated within that, that conceptuality of again is the whole contextuality of the coming from someplace else to the earth and doing it again, which is repetitious, that he had a physical body, he had a physical name, and he had a physical ministry, as well as a spiritual ministry. It is absolutely essential that you recognize that. The Bible says, not in the Gospel of John, but in the the, the, the book of John, the epistles, he says that except you believe that Jesus Christ came in the, in the flesh, that you are involved in a spirit of Antichrist. Now, someone says, well, I believe that Jesus had a fleshly body. Good, but that's not the whole story. You have to do a lot more in, in, in accepting that, that Jesus came in the flesh. You have to understand what that means. You have to understand the extent of that, because if you don't, then you are still not accepting the full story of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, and you are still intertwined then with the spirit of the Antichrist mentality. And this is what we are preaching, what we are ministering. This is what we are revealing. This absolutely essential in the Bible doctrine of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, of which he made it to be so profound when he said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part in the kingdom of, of heaven. You have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, it is essential, it is essential that you understand the story of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh and exactly what that means, because if you don't, then you cannot have the communion in the sense of understanding it and receiving it in the spirit of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says there are people that take the communion and they, 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 they take it, you know, ignorantly, and they take it, you know, without being in the spirit, and the Bible says, therefore, there are many sick among you and many that die 
because they have not taken the communion in the fullness of the reality of what the communion is, which is this understanding of Jesus Christ having come in the flesh and, the, and the, all that that means and the message that it conveys. Wow. Let's read some more. We're in the 17th chapter. Well, no, wait a minute. Let's finish. We're in the 16th chapter. And um, um, we read to you about Jesus coming forth uh, from the Father. Now let's go to, to John 17, verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come to glorify the Son that the Son may also glorify thee. Why does Jesus look up to heaven? He does this for conveyance, to show that he is not expecting on this planet, in this world, with this mortal aspect, with this worldliness, to be able to really show and reveal the power, the influence, the glory of the Father without revealing the connectedness to another realm. Therefore he taught the people to pray, My Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now I have explained to you this thing, don't lose your place in, in uh, John, but I've explained to you how that in uh, Genesis chapter 1, that there is a very important uh, revelation about, about uh, this whole thing of heaven. And, um, you know, the Bible says in Genesis 1, 6, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the, the uh, waters uh, from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven, now this is the firmament, what's the firmament? The atmosphere, the sky, the various levels of different atmospheres. And it's totally connected to the aspect of the earth. What is the earth? Verse 10, and God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw it was to be. Translation from it was good. Now, we understand then that the, the word earth just means like a planet-type body with, with, with dirt and soil. And that heaven can be totally connected to a, a physical planet just like earth by being part of the atmosphere. So that it could be called heaven that doesn't mean there aren't other kinds of heaven. There are many kinds of heavens. So the Bible says that there is the heaven of heavens, which is the heaven above all the heavens, but that, in other words, there are many different kinds of heaven. Okay, back to John. Now, I know I have to keep repeating some of these things because, obviously, people keep asking me the same questions because they don't quite get it. And I want you to be able to get it, ladies and gentlemen. We're in 17. Verse 2, as thou 
hath given him power over all flesh, that he may give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. You have to understand that there is, there is a conjunction here. That for Christ to be able to give this, to give eternal life to the fallen angels, to, to, to the people that, that have fallen, then he has got to do this according to the scripture. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, as he takes power over all the carnal fleshly attributes and aspects of his human body. That's why it's so important we got to recognize that Jesus came in the flesh. If you don't recognize that, you're into an anti-spirit uh, uh, mode. It's absolutely essential to understand he has to overcome. He had to overcome the flesh. If he didn't do that, he could not then convey to the people eternal life who are the fallen ophanims that fell to earth. Now, I've had people with a lot of confusion about this thing about the fallen angels because they do not understand that there's two different kinds of fallen angels. There's the Ophanims, which were one-third of the, of the angels of heaven. There was three groups. There was the Ophanim called the wheels in the first and tenth chapter of Ezekiel. The word wheel means Ophan, which is the singular for the plural, which is Ophanim. And so these wheels were angels, and they fell. But there's another group that fell, and it tells about this in the 12th chapter of the book of Revelations, that Lucifer, Satan, and his angels, his angels fell. And Lucifer was an archangel, so he had uh, legions and legions of, of angels that were co-owned with him. And being co-owned with him, they were joined to one spirit, to his spirit. So Lucifer and his angels fell. So they were, his legions and legions of angels that were cherubims fell to earth, just like the Ophanims fell, but they were of two different kinds of angelic systems. So sometimes when it talks about the retribution and the judgment of the of the fallen angels, it's referring to the angels who fell with Satan, who were his angels and had been co-owned with him. And after the fall, they come out of his body and they begin to be an army for him. That's one group of fallen angels, different from the Ophanims, which are now the human beings. If you read the 12th chapter of, of, of the book of Revelations, the angels fall one-third, why one-third? Because you have, the, you have the, the Ophanims, the Cherubims, and the Seraphims. The three groups of angels that came to this galaxy to create. That's one, two, three. That makes a third. That makes a, a total, a total uh, whole third. And one-third of them, or a total whole number, rather. And one-third of that whole number fell. So if the, when the Ophanims fall, there you go. You still bodily-wise have... Almost all of the of the um, cherubims, because whenever uh, an, a spirit becomes co-owned with an archangel, then they no longer are counted as part of that that uh, uh, number system that makes up the number of those angels. 
like there's a trillion ophanims, but the angels that are co-owned with Jesus Christ do not count in that number because that's what happens. Once, once they become co-owned, they become one spirit, as I read to you the scripture. Okay, let's move on. <clears throat> Verse 3, And this is life eternal, that you might know that, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest, thee, uh, gavest me to do. This glorification on earth is absolutely essential. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before this world ever was, before this world existed, before it was created. Jesus was with the Father at the Father's house. And, it, and, and it's so indelibly clear when we read it in John 14, verse 1 through 4. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That was a, quite a message at that time because peop, the people looked at him as just a common mortal. You, you have to look at Jesus more than just being a common mortal. He had a common mortal body but he wasn't a common mortal because of the spirit that lived in him. Wow. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. If this wasn't a reality, if this wasn't an actuality, if this wasn't a, an incredibly important thing, Jesus would not have mentioned it. He says, I'm telling you this because of its importance. And he says, I don't want you to be troubled about it. I want you just to believe in God. And I want you to believe in me. Now, Paul used to speak about his gospel. And, you know, I could do the same. I could talk about the gospel of the manifester. That doesn't mean I created the gospel. That means this is the revelation as I understand it, as I see it, by the spirit of revelation that was given to me. And that's my gospel. And I'm asking you to believe this gospel that I'm preaching to you because I have based it on Jesus Christ and I have based it on the Holy Scriptures. If I did not base it on Jesus Christ, I dare not say, follow me. If I did not base it on the Scriptures, I dare not say, follow me. But because I do say that these things and believe these things with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, yes, follow me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There are many mansions there. And I would have told you if it wasn't so, I'd go to prepare a place for you. The work that Jesus is doing that he did on earth, he finished that. But that didn't mean he was that his work was complete. Because Jesus is talking about exiting the earth. And he says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. That's the other work that he's going to do. And that work is not going to be done on earth. That work is going to be done at the Father's house. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Why, did he, why is Jesus going? He's going to prepare a place for you. And that's just one part of it. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again 
and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be. And whether I go, you know, you know, and you know the way. Now, subconsciously, you know about this. Subconsciously, you have lived before. And the Bible is full of that. It's, it's just full of it. Which I don't have the time to go through that in all the scriptures again. But if you get into the manifest teachings, you'll find it. He's gone away to prepare a place for us. That's part of the work. And then part of the work is he's coming back, what? To come here and live again? No, he's coming back. He's coming back, ladies and gentlemen, to take us away. Now, I've had people say, we're going to reign with, with Christ a, a, a thousand years. But they don't understand the story. They don't understand the Bible. They don't understand this thing about the teachings of Christ being able to be in more than one place at one time and how through transpiration he can use someone else to represent him in a proxy so that people representing that other person in that proxy are equal to, representing it, to, to receiving that representation as though it was exactly the Christ. That's why the Bible says that David has, has not ascended. David didn't finish his work. David goofed up a lot of times, but he had a deal with God, and God's going to keep his word. And the Bible says in more than one place, if you want to look it up, look it up, check it up, you do that, because it is the word of God, that David is coming back, and David's going to be over, over this millennial period, operating in a proxy of Jesus Christ. It's, it's the word of God. Jesus is going to be in the Father's house. <laughs> <clears throat> That's where he's going to be. Someone says, oh, I don't know if I like this. That's different from what I heard. You might need to get baptized again in your mind. You may have so much junk in there that is so sunk into the, to your skull that, that you wouldn't be able to recognize the truth if it was spoken to you. You, you need to be cleansed of, of these uh, false disinformation ideas. Blessed be the name of God. Okay, back to uh, to uh, 17th chapter. Wow. And God speaks in verse 4 of 17. John 17, verse 4. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work that you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I manifested thy name unto men, and thou hast thou which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou keepest them, thou, thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. People talk about apostolic ministry. But you don't have the apostolic ministry if you don't believe beyond Jesus Christ and his earthly mission. If you don't believe beyond Jesus Christ and his earthly ministry and mission, then, then you haven't got it. You are not into the apostolic ministry. The apostolic ministry is clarified right here. 
You've got to get into the Father revelation. If you don't get into the Father revelation, you can't truly have the whole Son revelation because there can't be a Son without the Father. And if you are going to get into the Father revelation and the Son revelation, then you have to get into the Mother revelation because you can't have a Son without the Mother. And the Mother is described as being represented by the Holy Spirit. And there are counterparts to all of that. So that the things on earth are patterns of the things in, the, in heaven. Verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest me, and they have kept thy word, and they have known all things where, where so, whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. And for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and have believed that thou didst send me. I pray not for, the, for I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. So we have to understand that, that, that Jesus was constantly teaching the disciples of the revelation of the Father. Because if without them understanding that what Jesus said when he said, my Father is greater than I am. My Father is greater. Until you come into that greater revelation, then you aren't truly into apostolic ministry. Because those were the things that Jesus was teaching his disciples. And we'll see that as we go on. Wow. Wow. Verse 11. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep them through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the, wor in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is, is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And now come I unto thee, and these things I speak in the, in the world, that they, might have, uh, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of this world, but thou shouldest keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. For thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have sent them into the world. Now to be sent into the world, and if you're, you're applying the world as a planet, and its inhabitants, then that means that you came from out of the world to be sent into it. And that's what it's talking about by, by the, the, these disciples. Where I've shown you in past teachings that all of these disciples are sons of thunder. Which means they are all children of Artura, the father's house. They are not of this world even as I am not of this world. Verse 16. Wow. Wow. 
Let's go down to um, verse 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. That's the will of Jesus Christ. The will of Jesus Christ is for his disciples, for his followers, to be with him where he is. And where is he going to be? The Father's house. So if you don't have the revelation of the Father's house, you don't have the revelation of the Father, then you are not into discipleship in the sense that these disciples of Jesus were. Because his ministry to them, when he got them off and began to expound to them, was about the Father. And if, if you have bypassed that, and you are only dwell, dwelling on the revelation of the Son, then you are not into the greater revelation. For Jesus said, my Father is greater than I am. And only can you understand how much greater that your understanding needs to be when you understand when Jesus says, my Father and I are one. Uh, but, but, you know, there is these two different sides. The time that says, my Father is greater than I am, and then the time that says, my Father and I are one. Now to, get, now, to get into that place where my Father and I are one, he has to mentally and spiritually take that back before the foundations of the earth were even created. When he says, talks about the glory that he had with the Father before the, the world was even created, this earthly world, this, this planet Earth. And so he's able to go backwards because in Christ there, there is no time. And then he's able to go forward and he's able to be in the present. So we have to be able to have a resolution of understanding all these things which Christ is as he is, as he was in the physical present time, and then how he was in the past time, and how he was and is going to be in the future time. And only by that 30, 60, 100-fold revelation, and knowing that which is past, knowing that which is present, knowing that which is to come, can you even begin to understand the book of Revelations which was specifically and definitely given under the, the teaching uh, in the first chapter of, of Revelations, verse 19, to John, that said, Write the things which thou hast seen, that which is past, the things which are, that which is present, and the things which shall be hereafter, that which is future. And these were in to, to include the mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, which is the revelation of the seven of the of the seven revel, uh, the seven uh, universes. Praise God! Wow! Verse twenty-six, chapter seventeen, Saint John. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. And we talk about the love of Jesus, and that's beautiful, and that's wonderful. But there's also the love of the Father. Someone says, yeah, but, you know, the, the Jesus is the Father. Jesus is the Father before the foundations of the world. But if you can't even believe in the Father's house, which is not of this world... It's of this universe, but it's not of this, of this earth world. Then you really can't come into the love of the Father. Because that place is out of mind in you. It's a vanishing point. It's beyond your comprehension. And until you come into the, to the revelation of the Father, 
You can't really get into the, the, the full revelation of the Son because you dematerialize his, his, the, the, the Father that created him as the Son, the only begotten Son. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Blessed be the name of God. Okay, Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to begin with uh, the 7th verse. Speaking of Jesus Christ, Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crowneth him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. We know that Jesus did not fall. And we know that in this revelation here that he had to be made to be a little older than the, than the, the state of the, of the Ophanims, which was the group that Jesus was also in, of the angels. In order for him to come down and, and, and to be, have a body equal with the fallen, the fallen angels who had taken on, on mortal bodies, he had to be made a little lower than the angels to do that. Wow. Let's look at um, some more scripture here. Verse 8. And thou didst put all things in subjection under his feet, under his feet, for in that he put all, all uh, in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we see not all things put under him. That's the thing that people are missing. They see some of the things that the salvation and the, the, the salvation plan of Jesus incorporates. They see some of the victorious things that that have, have been presented for them as, as human beings to go forward in Christ. But they don't understand the full revelation of all the things put under the feet of Jesus. The extent of that is far greater than anything that the majority of people have, have understood. It's not just world, it's worlds. It's not just particle, it's particles. It's not just substance, it's substances. It's all things made subjection, all things put under his feet. And there's nothing left out. So if you are leaving things out, you are not in this foundation ministry of Jesus Christ. And there's no other uh, foundation that can be built but the foundation of Jesus Christ because it incorporates and it includes everything. Hallelujah. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. He tasted death for every man. Because guess who the angel of death is? Guess who has the power of death? And you, you know, you need to read the Bible. You need to look it up. 
Satan does. Satan is over the power of death. And that's what the Bible teaches. And that's what Jesus said. And, and he is an angel of death. And Jesus had to overcome this thing of death for every man. So only can you really conquer what death really represents as a separation from God by trans-assimilating through Jesus Christ. For it's only in Jesus Christ that we have this ability to defeat all these other things. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. The captain, who is Jesus Christ, had to become perfect, although he was above the angels, but being made lower than the angels, that differentiation from being lower than what he really was, he had to crank that back up so that he could become equal with the angels again, as the parables say in the teachings of Jesus Christ, that one day we will be equal with the angels. It's in the Word of God, King James Version. Wow. Because he plans to bring many sons unto glory, and he's the captain of their salvation, and how did he get this perfection? Well, he got this perfection, someone might say, because, you know, he's just spiritual. No, he got this, the Bible says, through the sufferings. That's what the Bible says. He got perfect through sufferings. For both he that's, we're in verse 11, we're in Hebrews, we are in the second chapter. Wow, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Where did the word redeem come from? It's Old Testament theology. And it's, it's, it's the law that was, that was part of the word received on the mountain of the covenant. And the mountain of the covenant was of the nature that it was revealing that the kinsman had the power to redeem a kinsman. But some stranger couldn't redeem. Why, why was that? Because they didn't want some stranger to come in and redeem the land and then take part of Israel that belonged to a, a sacred cause and have it to be in ownership by people that were strangers. And they didn't want the stranger to be able to come in who was not a kinsman and be able to buy some, some person who was uh, being set free uh, from uh, servanthood due to some problems and, and things that that person did that got him into that uh, servanthood. But they didn't want a stranger to be able to come in and buy that person who was, a, who was into their Jewish faith and take them away to some other country and maybe uh, brutalize that person and, and uh, change their faith and, and uh, uh, you know, do undespicable uh, despicable things to that person. So they wanted to guarantee that the salvation would not be a salvation that was a ruin, but that the salvation would restore these people back into the Jewish faith, back into the Jewish land, back into their kinsmanship. And so the kinsmen had the right to redeem, and strangers did not. 
And so Jesus had to come down, take on this physical body, and be lower than the angels to be equal with us, and through suffering, uh, go through this suffering, which is all part of the Tartaru, the kind of hell of, in, of incarceration that people have in the human bodies, to, to take and incorporate that into this life, and by incorporating that into this life, overcome it, and, and then bring that part which was lower than the angels uh, through his suffering back up to being equal with that status again. And in doing that, that enabled him uh, to be a kinsman redeemer. Wow. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified become one. His sanctification of himself was for being able to bring people into that sanctification that he had and therefore make them a oneness in that sanctification that he had. So people that are out here trying to become sanctified on their own, through their own power, their own will, their own, own intensity, you're not going to make it. That's not the plan. And those, there have been those, the Bible says, that, will, that have done that and will try to do it again. Like the man that made it into the wedding of the Lamb. He did all those technical, what seemed to be correct things, but he didn't have the, the wedding garment on it. On He wasn't under the anointing. And the oil that came down on Aaron's beard, that oil is Holy Spirit stuff. And that comes from Jesus Christ. He said, except I go away, I cannot send you the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit. And he will lead and guide you into all truth. Wow. For this is verse eleven again. For he for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. This is the cause. This is the because. This is the cause. If we miss the cause, we're missing the whole revelation of the of the plan of salvation of Jesus Christ. There's too many people that are still serving Jesus hang, hung on the cross. Before he, they, they don't have him out of the tomb even. They still have him on the cross. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which thou hast given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now, did I tell you this? Yes, I did. Who has the power of death? The devil. Let me read it again. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. He had to take part of the flesh and blood for this whole plan of covenant to work, for this whole plan of salvation to work. He had to overcome through his suffering. He had to take himself from being a little lower than the angels back up to being equal with the angels uh, in that resolution of, of restoration. And if he hadn't done that, he would not have power, power uh, that was applicable to be used to deliver, to deliver the, the, the people who fell. So let's read it again, verse 14. And, and, and we're into chapter 2 of, of Hebrew. For as much then as the children are the partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Who's got the power of death? The devil. 
and deliver them who through their fear of death were all, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now we got people out there that, that are, they're into the fear of death. They're into conspiracies. They're into the fear of the conspiracies. They spend more time reading on the internet all these cons conspiracies than they spend reading the Bible and praying. They're into the bondage of fear. They're worrying about all these things that are coming on the world. And Jesus said, be not troubled. But they're troubled. They're troubled about everything that they think the government is doing. They're troubled about everything that they think some group that, that was in power all the way back at the forming of the Constitution of the United States. And they are entrapped and they are bound. And they are spending their time and they think they're doing something for God. They're not doing this for God. They're doing this because of the fear and the trouble in their soul because they are backslidden and they are not right with God. And that's why they've been given over to that mind because they're backslidden in their heart. Wow. He says in verse 15, deliver them who through the fear of death were their lifetime subject to bondage. You're in bondage when you get into those things. I'm inviting you to come over into Jesus Christ and be free. I'm inviting you to, to be set free from the bondage of fear. You know, Peter said, well, what's going to happen to this, this beloved person? You know, what's going to happen to him? How long is he going to live? And Jesus, Jesus said, what's it to thee, Peter? Follow thou me. And I'm going to tell you about who caused this or who's doing that or who's poisoning this or poisoning that. What's it to thee, Peter? Follow thou me. For Jesus said, I'll send you out and you can pick up serpents and if they bite you, their poison will not harm you. In Jesus Christ, you can have power over poison. But if you want to fight that issue and, and, and be in the bondage of all of that, uh, it, it will be because you are not putting the time in to worshiping and loving your Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord Jesus Christ wants you to do. He wants you to concentrate on the Father's house. He wants you to concentrate on, you know, that song, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. This world is not my home. I'm going up somewhere beyond the blue. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Wow. Verse 16, for verily he took not on the nature of angels, but he took on the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it, be, it behooved him to be made like unto his brother, brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make a reconciliation for the sins of the people. And in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Wow. Wow. Go to chapter 5 of Hebrews. Let's, talk, let's read some more about this thing of Jesus Christ. It's really important because if you, if you don't accept Jesus Christ came in the flesh the way this explains it, then you are in, under the, the influence of the spirit of the Antichrist. You might as well, you might as well uh, recognize that. Hebrews 5, verse 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he saith unto him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. 
And he saith in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He, he had a duality. In the one place, he was given recomm uh, uh, recommendation and, and, and uh, he was given acquiescence by, by the Father. You know, you are my begotten son. He's talking about, you know, this, this son of God, this, this, this son of man. You got the son of man. He said, this is, this is part of this plan. You have to be the son of man in order to liberate these people. You got to be the son of man. You also have to be the son of God to finish the whole plan. So in one place, you know, he says, you are the son. He, he brings them down into that sonship. In the other place, he says, you are a priest after the order of Melchizedek. After the order of Melchizedek. Now, in the 15th chapter of the book of Corinthians, it says that every man has his own order. As we begin to understand that, it's very important. So when we see that Jesus is after the order of the Melchizedek, then we have to assume that the order of Melchizedek is the same order as that of Jesus, so that Jesus was Melchizedek, because they're of the same order. And the only differentiation is that Melchizedek was a particular kind of character, character and a particular kind of body, and Jesus is in a particular kind of body that is purposely designed for, for uh, uh, be him becoming, uh, you know, the Redeemer. Wow. Wow. Verse 6, chapter 5, Hebrews. And he saith in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, let's talk about Jesus, when he offered up prayers and supplications with, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus prayed with strong crying and tears? And it was necessary in, to do that in order to be saved? To save him from death? and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and becoming perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say, hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. Jesus became, verb, verb, action became the author of eternal salvation. When Jesus came on the earth and he was a baby, he was not the author of eternal salvation. When Jesus was doing many, many things in his ministry on earth, he was not the author of eternal salvation, except that he was the elect of being the author of eternal salvation. But as he overcame with much tears and much crying and much prayers, then the Bible says he became the author of eternal salvation. And that's when he closed that gap, being made a little lower than the angels. And you've got that, all, that gap all taken out. And he became equal to the angels again. And he became the author of eternal salvation. Wow. Wow. In Ephesians, go to Ephesians real fast. This just needs to go in there. We've got to read it. What's the plan of God? What's the plan of Jesus Christ? 
In the second verse of the third chapter, it talks about the dispensation of the grace of God. How do we apply that dispensation of the grace of God? And how does that change? We have to understand that so many times people want to place everything in one dispensation that uh, affects the whole of all creation. But sometimes people break away and they come into a, a different dispensation to, for them that is not the same dispensation, uh, dispensa uh, dispensation as what the whole world is collectively in. Wow. And part of this plan of this grace is explained, let's begin with verse 8. Unto me, whom am, unto me whom am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Wow. Wow. And this is Paul speaking. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and the powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So God wants us to know about the principalities and the powers in heavenly places. He wants the church to know that. I just read that to you in verse 10 here of the third chapter of Ephesians. He wants all men to understand the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, hid in the Father. God wants us to be able to know those things. Praise be the name of Jesus. Wow. So scriptures on this kinsman redeemer. Kinsman redeemer, Hebrews 2.11, verses 12 and 17. Book of Leviticus. Chapter 25, and I think it's, uh, it's let's see, I've, I'll just look here. Let me see what that verse says. Either 4 through 8 or, or it's actually um, uh, verse 48, and we'll just find out. We'll just go here and find out so we don't end up giving you the uh, wrong bit of information. Blessed be the name of God. If I wouldn't write things so fast and scrawly, I wouldn't have to be taking this time right now to look this up. But uh, <clears throat> that's okay. I forgive myself. And, uh, and I, um, I hope that everybody else uh, feels the same way. Hallelujah. Praise be the name of God. Okay, let's see. Are there even 48 verses in here? Oh, yeah, so it is. It is uh, talking about the redeemed and so forth. So it's Leviticus 25, 48. Okay. All right. Now, um, <clears throat> In Psalms 111, 1 through 12, it talks about the Lord's seed to become powerful and mighty upon the earth. Now, let's real fast. Some of these I've read to you before. We've got, we got to go through it. Uh, Isaiah 53. Let's get over to Isaiah 53. I, I wish I could just preach to you for about two or three hours today. I have such a message. It's, I, I, it's just so important. I, I get this word out to you. But it, it, just, it just takes a long time to really go through it like I'm trying to go through it today so you really have an understanding of what the Scripture means. So, so let's just take a look at Isaiah 53, and let's begin with, uh, with verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And that's the question of the age. 
That's the question for us right now. How many people is going to believe our report? I've got a report. I've got a holy manifest. Who's going to believe it? I have a holy, uh, holy manifest Bible. Who's going to believe it? Well, I don't know that you're even going to be able to know if you believe it if you don't get a chance to read it. That's why I'm asking you to pray so I can get, the, the, I can get this incredible written word out. Blessed be the name. God, God is able to raise up, you know, people in this, in this great white harvest that can, that, can, that can help in many different ways. God's able to do that. I totally trust that. And I know the time is now. I know it's right now. It's very, very importantly right now. Praise God. Okay, let's go on. Um, who is this talking about? Verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He's a man of sorrows. He was despised. He was rejected. And he was acquainted with grief. And we hid our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. You cannot esteem the Lord Jesus Christ if you don't understand that Jesus came in the flesh. You're dealing under, under the spirit of the Antichrist if you, if you don't believe that. So, Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets that ever lived, he says, Jesus was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. If we do not see that, if we do not accept that, then we are not accepting that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and he went through these things. It's very important for us to understand what he went through. If you don't accept those things, you are hiding your face from the revelation of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. And that is all about the, Mary, the, the, the message of Mary Magdalene. If you can't accept the, the things that Jesus went through in the flesh and, and the things that he did uh, so that he was tempted in all things like all men and the life that he lived so that it put him on, a, on an equal par with all human beings and that included uh, Mary Magdalene, if you can't accept that, then you are into this thing about, about uh, uh, being not accepting of, of the flesh of Jesus Christ, of Jesus coming in the flesh. It's got to incorporate the whole story. Verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. Someone says, well, I sure wouldn't do that. That's not true. Don't lie to me. That's what I hear people doing and saying all the time. Oh, he was suffered. He was, he was beaten. He, he went through this. And oh, he, he, he went through this awful. They whipped him on his back. They, they put nails through him. And oh, my God. Oh, my God. And, and the Bible says here, it says here, uh, what, did, what did they do? What did they do? Here's what it says. He said, we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God. Yeah. You've got to get out of that. You've got to get out of that story. Some people say, well, I'm not saying that God did that. Oh, yes, you are. <coughs> are, you saying, <coughs> are you saying he did that for the devil? And the devil was in control? You'd be, reading, you'd be believing a lie if you believe that. Because Jesus said, I don't, I, no man can take my life from me. No man. He says, I lay down my life, it is, is my decision, and I will pick it up again. I am the resurrection. So 
So he laid this down himself. No one took it from him. There's the Sanhedrin thought they did. The, some of the Jews thought they did. The Romans thought they did. But they didn't. And when you get into this kind of esteeming where, oh my God, oh look at this, oh look at that, oh my God. And you make that your religion, then you don't even really have a resurrected Christ in the fullest sense of the delivery and the power of that meaning. And you, you don't, you know, you're, you're being restricted by, by not believing that Jesus Christ came in, in, in the flesh in the fullest sense that all of the scripture teaches and means. You can't believe in Mary Magdalene, that that was, that was a, a wife. You can't believe Jesus had a son, even though the Bible teaches all those things. Because you're in the spirit under an influence of the Antichrist. The Antichrist of, of Jesus coming in the flesh. You've got to get off that ship. It's going to sink. It does not have any power of resurrection. It does not have any power of redemption. It does not have any power of healing. It belongs to the forces dark. Wow. Verse 5, he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. The only way you are going to get peace and I used to love that song and still do. Peace, peace, wonderful peace. Coming down from the Father above. Far away in the depths of my, my soul, my spirit. In the depths of my spirit tonight Rolls a melody sweeter than song Jesus, we love you. We love you so much. Oh, we love you, Jesus. Well, peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the far there above sweep over my spirit forever I pray in fathomless bellows of love you can't have that peace unless you take the whole Jesus the son of man the son of God Unless you incorporate this understanding of the Father. That's how you're going to have this peace. That's what I just read to you. Blessed be the name of God. I want to continue this teaching. I'm just getting started, so to speak. But I, God has put the Spirit on me that I have to break this down for the people. Because there's so many people keep asking me the same questions. They're just not getting it. So I'm going to break down these scriptures. I'm going to teach them in such a way that you well get it. And you, you have peace and it belongs to you. You have peace and it's due for you. And God wants to give you that peace. But in order to get that peace, that comes from the Father through Jesus Christ. If you don't incorporate in your mind this full revelation of Jesus coming in the flesh, the Son of Man, the Son of God, you'll miss the boat. God bless you. We love you.
pray for us. God bless you. Bye.